So, uh, this morning, this is, so this is not part of a series because uh, I didn't know whether I'd be here today or not. So I only planned up to last week. So, anybody know a good joke? Basically, <laughs> here we are, here we are. Got to say something, right? But um, you'll be pleased or disappointed to know I have prepared a little something for this morning. Uh, just, just a one-off message, really, because, um, well, I don't know whether I'm, I'm here next week. And even if I am here next week, um, Laura and Carl are going to be starting in uh, on a series through the book of Ruth. So that's going to be wonderful. Uh, but this morning, what I'd like to do is to go back to a, a passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, we talked, when, we, when we talked about loving each other, we looked at Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians 2, and all of that wonderful stuff about the new humanity. You remember that? That God has reconciled uh, Jew and Gentile. He's created this new humanity. What I'd like to do this morning is go back and work through the first half of that chapter because we just started halfway through it. And, and plowed through, but I'd like to revisit the first half of Ephesians 2 because it rounds out this beautiful picture of what the grace of God looks like in our lives and in our world. And so Ephesians 2, uh, and we'll read the first 10 verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the state of Wyoming in America, there's a town, little town called Matitsi, and in Matitsi there is a church called Matitsi Community Church. And a couple of years ago, there was a visitor to Matitsi Community Church one Sunday morning, a quiet guy. He wasn't very sociable, nobody knew him. And he just slipped into the back of the service and participated in the worship service that morning. And he seemed to be really getting into the worship. He was really enjoying the songs. And in particular, people that, that saw him noticed that he was really enthusiastic about one song they sang that morning, which is a song we've done from time to time, a song by Chris Tomlin called Your Grace is Enough. And he loved that one. He was really belting it out and just singing it full throttle. Afterwards, the pastor of the church got talking to him and figured out that he was a hitchhiker from out of town. He was a bit hard up for cash. So the pastor offered him some money in return for this guy mowing the church lawns, which he did. And he walked away with 40 bucks and someone had also given him a jacket. Later that night, a woman from the church was watching America's Most Wanted on television and saw this guy's face come up on screen. True story. Tracy Province was his name. Ten days ago, prior to coming to the church, he and two other guys had escaped Arizona medium security prison. They had murdered a couple in their camper van in Arizona and driven the camper van all the way to Wyoming 
And somehow, on this Sunday, as an escaped fugitive on the run from the law, Tracy Province was compelled to go to church. And three days later, he was picked up by the authorities and promptly escorted back to prison. But what possesses a man to go to church on a morning like that, when he's running from the law, having committed these heinous crimes, and then sing passionately about the grace of God? Just got to get immersed in this, in this worship. It just seems like there's a total disconnection between singing about the grace of God and then this life that looks like anything but grace. And I wonder if to some degree that's every one of us, that we love. Grace is one of our favorite words as Christians. We love talking about it. We love singing about it. I'm not saying you're an escaped fugitive, but I'm saying that maybe there's a disconnection in our lives between what we sing and, 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 and these wonderful songs full of the grace of God, but we're not always sure how to live it. We're not always sure what grace means in our, in our everyday lives and how it expresses itself or should express itself in our lives beyond the first moment that we come into a relationship with Jesus. What does grace mean now? How is it supposed to be present in our lives now? And that's why Paul writes this part of Ephesians 2. He loved the word grace as well. It's one of the most common words in Paul's letters in the New Testament. But what he desires this church at Ephesus to understand is the fullness the breadth and the scope of grace. So often we have this one directional view of grace. And here Paul just opens up this beautiful panoramic view of what grace is so that we would experience it more deeply and live it out more fully in our lives, in our church community. So he starts here in, in Ephesians 2 on a bit of a negative note. There's some pretty rough language that he throws at us here. As for you, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You used to follow the cravings of your sinful flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's pretty hard language. I mean, that sort of sounds like the kind of thing that might be appropriate for someone like Tracy Province, but surely not for us, right? I mean, this is, this is brutal. But what Paul is doing here simply is giving us a picture of who we were outside of and before we encountered the grace of God. And a picture of if you're still in that place this morning, outside of a relationship with Jesus, the state that you are in. And that state is one where we are cut off from and alienated from the presence and the life-giving power and grace of God. The word Paul uses to describe it is simply death. That as for you, he says, you were dead. Today we tend to have a different word to describe people who don't know Jesus. We talk about them as being lost. You know, we talk about reaching lost people, and God loves lost people, and that's fine. It's no problem with that word. There's plenty of places in the scripture where people who aren't Christians are described as lost. But Paul uses a harder word here, a more uncomfortable word. He says, you're not just lost if you don't know Jesus. You're dead. And it's not a very user-friendly term. I mean, we're probably not going to start a ministry to reach dead people. You know, we're not going to talk about, well, God loves dead people. It sounds like something off that movie, Sixth Sense. You know, it just sounds weird. But you get the force of it. That outside of the grace of God and outside of relationship with Jesus, you and I are a carcass. We are absolutely dead. And that's important to grasp because lost people, fundamentally, just need directions. With a good roadmap, right? With a good roadmap and, and a helpful person to sort of steer them on the right course. If you're only lost, then you just need some good direction. But if you're dead, you need resurrection. 
That's the difference. And that is fundamentally what God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. Not just a a good roadmap, not just a here's how you get out of your troubles if you can make it yourself, but nothing less than resurrection. That's where Paul goes in this passage in verse 4. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's resurrection. Just as Jesus was made alive, we have been made alive with him. And this is the essence of grace here, as Paul describes it. That God was willing, even though you and I were dead, outside of relationship with him, cut off from him, far away from him, he was willing to bring us from death to life by uniting us with Jesus. That's the heart of grace. That you and I, God has taken our lives and he has united our lives to Jesus. He has identified us in our existence with the life and the existence of Jesus. Do you remember a few years ago there was an ad for pink bats? And there was this guy in a big, fluffy, pink, full body suit. And he followed the, the homeowner around all day with his arms around the guy. You know, like the, the image was he was keeping this guy warm. So when the guy, you know, has coffee in the morning, this big guy in a big pink onesie was just standing there with his arms around him, you know. And when the guy sat down, this guy was fully hugging him and embracing him. And it was the, the whole image was this is what pink bats will do for you. They'll keep you this warm. You know, you'll be totally embraced by this hideous creature, I suppose. But that, that's, a, that's a bit of a tenuous uh, illustration of what it means for us to be united with Christ, what it means for us to have this kind of union with Christ, that we are so immersed by, so consumed in his identity now, that when God looks at us, it's Jesus that he sees. It's Je- you could even take the pink bats thing a step further, I suppose, and think that we- it's like now we've become the people that are, that are dressed up in that big pink suit. We're just so wrapped up in Jesus. This is what God's done for us. He's wrapped you up in Jesus' identity. He's consumed you in Jesus' own identity. He's given you Jesus' clothing to wear, in a sense. And the first thing God has done is united you to Jesus' resurrection. So that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I have been raised from the dead. Those of us that have given our lives to Jesus. God has done this mighty work of resurrection identifying us with Jesus' own resurrection. He's taken our dead lives, that carcass that you were outside of God, and he's raised you up. And he's given you this new life in relationship with him, where our sins are utterly forgiven, where we're set free from our past and set free even from the mess that we're bound to make in the future forgiven past, present, future, and brought into this wonderful, life-giving, sustaining relationship with God, within his family, within his kingdom. This is the resurrection life that God has given us. And sometimes it's so familiar to us as Christians that we lose the force of it. We lose the power that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has raised us up, as it were. It's nothing less than resurrection, bringing you from an absolute carcass, spiritually speaking, to a resurrected man, woman, or child, living and breathing now in relationship with God, wrapped up in Jesus' identity. But Paul pushes forward, and there's more to this picture of grace than that. Sometimes we leave grace there, and we think that it was this thing that we got when we, when we were saved and when we became a Christian, but that's where it ends. But Paul keeps going. He says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, this is something slightly different. 
He's just been talking about resurrection, that we've been made alive with Christ. But this is not that. This is ascension. This is now us sharing in Jesus' ascension. We have been raised up with Christ. First we were resurrected with him. Now just as Jesus was raised from earth to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, because we are identified with him now so strongly, we too have been raised to heaven, as it were, and seated at the right hand of God. We are now seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. This is the reality for you if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. Even though you're sitting here physically now in a gym, spiritually speaking, you are seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Right now. Picture that. It's not like a parallel universe thing. This is simply in terms of your position before God. You are right now seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's a great thought, isn't it? Here we are living, breathing, working, sleeping, eating, talking, but all the while we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And because it's Jesus who got you there, it's Jesus who's going to keep you there. It's not you. Just as Jesus is seated there, you're seated there. And that means your position there is absolutely secure. We've got to remember that. Got to remember that in our worst days. When we mess up and stuff up and screw up and we blow it and we feel a billion miles away from God, just feel like a complete worm, you need to remember you are still seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You need to remember it too on your best days. When things are really humming and you're a generous person and you're a kind person and you're a patient person and you love your family and you bless your colleagues and you do all the right things and we're tempted to believe sometimes that doing these things just must make it a bit easier for God to love us. I mean, surely we're we're just making his job a little bit easier, you know, because I'm not quite such a messed up person today. I'm a bit more worthy. I'm helping him out a bit more. He doesn't quite have to bring me the full way because I must be up to at least 20% today. He's just got to fill in the rest. And that's about as sinful as we can get because then we get puffed up with pride. We start thinking we're something. We bring nothing to the equation, even on our best days. We're still broken people. And this is not to condemn you. It's to remind you that we are utterly dependent For every breath, every moment of our lives on the extravagant grace of God. That's all we have. But it's all we need because that's what anchors us there. Beside the throne of God in the heavenly realms. It's grace from beginning to end. This is what we need to remind ourselves of. When we feel like we can never do enough to please God. When you feel like he's not happy with you. When you feel like you've fallen too far and you can't be forgiven, and now you're out of reach. No, you are seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Take hold of it and believe it. Tell it to yourself. Speak it to your own heart when you don't believe that. You're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And it's out of that security, I think, that we're supposed to hear Paul's words in verse 10 when he talks about we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Sometimes we get to that verse and we think, Paul stopped talking about grace, and now he's on to works. And we think, well, why has he just done ten verse, uh, nine verses on grace? But now he's sort of switched, and he's talking about works. I would argue that he's still talking about grace, even when he's talking about doing good works. Because out of the security that you have in relationship with God, anchored there by Christ, we have the freedom to serve God 
in all kinds of ways. Not to try and earn brownie points with him. Not to try and work our way into his good books or keep him happy or somehow help him to love us. But as an expression of, as an outflow of this incredible grace that we've received in our lives. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And I was reading just this week, it must just be the way the columns line up in my Bible. But I was just noticing as I read down to Ephesians 2.10, it kind of, I flipped over a column and read this verse or two in Ephesians 3, verse 7 and 8, where I think Paul applies this to himself and the good works that he's called to do. He says in chapter 3, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Isn't it interesting there that Paul doesn't describe grace as a relationship with God. He describes it as a task that God's given him to do. This grace was given to me. He could have just as easily said, this job was given to me. But he describes his job as grace. And guess what? That doesn't just apply to church planters, pastors, and professional missionaries. Whatever you're doing, it is grace. And this is a missing dimension, I think, as well, of our understanding of grace. Whatever it is God's given you to do, it's grace. It's a work of grace. Grace isn't just that thing that saved you. And it's not just that thing that sustains you. It's also what compels us to serve God with whatever he's put in front of us to do. Not just super spiritual good deeds, helping other people, etc., etc. But your job, your work, your life, it's grace. In fact, you could take that verse, chapter 3, verse 8, you could put your own name in there or your own vocation. This grace was given to me to be an architect. This grace was given to me to be a civil engineer. This grace was given to me to be a homemaker. This grace was given to me to be a plumber. Whatever it is that you spend your time doing, it's grace. Don't just see it as drudgery. Don't just see it as secular. It's grace. And it's part of this panoramic vision that Paul is painting. Even the good works that we're called to do are a present and ongoing expression of the grace of God in our lives. And finally, Paul rounds off this panoramic vision by pointing us even further ahead to the future. In verse 7, back in chapter 2, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness in Christ Jesus. See, now we're in the future tense. Paul's talked about past grace. He's talked about present grace. And now this is future. He's saying the grace of God has is is got this dimension to it that we're yet to experience. And again, think of this in terms of being united to Christ. We were united with Jesus in his resurrection. So we've been raised with him. We were united with Jesus in his ascension. So we've been raised up and seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. And we are united with Jesus in his inheritance that he's yet to receive from the Father. One day Jesus is going to receive, and has in principle already received, authority over the entire cosmos, over the world. And in the new creation that he's going to bring about when he returns, Jesus will reign. And guess what? Because we're united with Christ, we'll reign with him. We are co-heirs with Jesus now. The inheritance he's receiving from the Father, we're in on it. Not because of anything worthy in us, but just part of the bounty of God's grace. He just keeps giving it. 
He says, I'm not just going to save you. I'm not just going to sustain you. Guess what? There's more to come. What Jesus will receive, you'll receive. We'll be co-heirs with Christ. We'll be co-rulers with Christ in the new creation, reigning over this transformed world. We'll be co-priests with Christ, mediating between God and His world, His creation. The Bible even hints at the fact that somehow we're going to be co-judges with Christ, participating with Him somehow in pushing away darkness, evil, and embracing life and light and bringing goodness into the new creation because our union with Christ is so profound. What has happened to Jesus happens to us all the way along. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, his inheritance, we participate in every single part of it and it's grace from beginning to end. So we have yet to see the full picture of grace. We experience it now by the gift of God but one day God is going to reveal to us the full picture as we enjoy this incredible new creation of shalom and the presence, the direct presence of Father, Son, and Spirit on this earth. That's the fullness. And we'll flourish and we'll thrive all because of the grace of God. So you see what Paul's doing? He's broadening out this picture of what grace is. We tend to think of it as a shot in the arm that you get when you get saved, and that's it. And then we don't know what to do with it. But it's not just past, it's also present, and it's also future. I don't know whether you've seen a 360-degree photograph. They look pretty cool. And you get this panoramic vision, a photo taken in, in every direction at once. They look a bit warped sometimes because you are literally seeing right round in a circle, but they're amazing. And I think this passage in Ephesians 2 is like a 360-degree photograph of grace. We are so used to just seeing a one-directional picture of the grace of God. And for you this morning, maybe there is a part of this whole vista that you've been missing. Maybe there's a dimension of the grace of God that you have yet to fully embrace, to take hold of, to thank God for, to really experience. Maybe it is that past view of God's grace to be truly grateful for, to really believe that you've been made alive, that you're no longer condemned, that you're no longer imprisoned by your own sin and shortcoming. Maybe that's yet to really take hold at a deep level and you need this morning to really soak in that reality of the grace of God that has already saved me and raised me up with Jesus. But maybe for you it's that present grace of God that you need. Because you so quickly feel like your relationship with God gets shaky. So quickly feel like it's come undone or that he's a billion light years away from you. You need that present experience of being seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need that present awareness that what you're doing in your life and what you're going to do when you walk out these doors is still a work of grace. These good works that we're called to. It's all grace and you need to embrace your vocation as, as God's grace revealed to you and given to you to glorify Him in the world. Or maybe it's getting your heart and your mind around that future grace that's yet to be revealed and allowing that to really pull your heart forward, that you live in anticipation of this day that's yet to come, filling you with hope and anchor for your soul in the midst of the darkness of this world. Whatever part of the picture it is, whatever angle of grace you haven't yet seen, you haven't yet taken hold of, pray this morning that God would reveal that to you with new clarity, because it's all grace from beginning to end. 
And it's captured so beautifully in that hymn that we sung at the beginning of the service, Amazing Grace, you know, the old classic. And it takes all of those dimensions and it opens up the whole vista. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see that past grace of salvation. And in the present, t'was grace that's brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. It's that sustaining grace. And then the future, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Let's take hold of the panorama of the grace of God given to us because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, just in the quietness of this moment, we do allow your grace to wash over us afresh. And I pray that whatever part of that whole vista of grace that we've been missing up to this point, you'd remind us of now. And God, we're sorry that sometimes this stuff just becomes so familiar that we stop caring, and we stop listening to it, and we stop really feeling it. But now, God, we ask that you would just open our eyes afresh to the amazing grace that you've poured into our lives. And I pray that it would give us a deep sense of our security in you, knowing that we are forgiven people. I pray it would give us great courage to live out your grace in our life in all kinds of ordinary ways, all kinds of everyday conversations. And I pray it would give us great hope as we look toward the day when the incomparable riches and the fullness of your grace will be revealed in the new creation. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.